All right. We have here Nick Crop, CPA, partner at Cornerstone Accounting in Maryland. Nick is actually my personal CPA. He works with a ton of our clients. I actually met Nick off of TikTok because Nick got super popular, basically debunking all the bullshit that goes on in the tax world and people just showcasing their tax fraud. And so I was like, hey, let me give this guy a shot. And we fostered a really solid relationship. He's done a lot of great work for myself and my clients. So thanks so much for you coming on, man. Yeah, thanks, Antonio. I, I've been been looking forward to being able to talk to you on your on your podcast. I know when we first started talking, you told me about this podcast and things like that. And you're like, we should get you on sometime. I'm like, all right, sounds good. So yeah, I'm, I'm the days glad. the days come. <laughs> yes, we are we are well prepped for this. We probably have more questions than you probably want to answer, but we are super excited to dive into it. But before we do that. Why don't you give us a little bit more of your background? I mean, like we talk in a professional setting probably once a week at this point, but I'd love to know a little bit more about Nick Crop and his story. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I'll go back to just kind of post-college, right? So I, I have a business administration degree, graduated, and I uh, started working actually with uh, my brother and my dad in our real estate firm. We owned a, a Remax franchise. So I had my real estate license. I was doing that stuff. I was also doing back-end uh, management of our companies, the book is the bookkeeping, uh, property management, things like that, writing checks, helping out with uh, day-to-day management of the companies. And then by 2019, we looked to actually, we sold our, our Remax franchises. We, we brought in another one, but we, we sold them in 2019, one for my brother, so he could pursue his team. Can't be a, a team leader and a broker at the same time in Maryland. So he wanted to really focus on his team in real estate. And I don't love real estate, so I wanted to get out of real estate anyways. So I was like, this is great. If I'm not having to manage this company anymore, all of these things we're doing with Remax, which was a, a heavy burden. I was like, well, the next thing I can do is maybe some bookkeeping or something like that. And we have a, a good friend who was kind of working with us as we were looking to transition things. And he was like, you know, why don't you just get your CPA license? And then my dad, who's also a CPA and one of my partners was like, yeah, why don't you get your CPA license? I was like, well, you told me not to get an accounting degree because that was a horrible career path. So maybe that's why, but you know what? Let's let's do it. It's actually not a horrible career path. He's just like, yeah, you shouldn't be an accountant. It's it's the worst. But in the end, it was like, hey, let's go ahead and do that. We'll restart up K&A CPAs. We'll get that, that, that company kind of like restarted. My dad's been a CPA for about 30 years, like I said, and he's a serial entrepreneur. So he he had a CPA firm. He sold the CPA firm. He still kept doing taxes during the years, but he started doing, he had a mortgage company. He owned some other firms as well, like some like publishing firms and like a country store and things like that. We owned a gym at one point in time, uh, kind of like bought some things, helped them make money, sold them off, or just kind of like started some other various things as well. So did a number of things. And so we just kind of restarted up the accounting firm. I went and got my CPA license. And then that brings us basically to today where Last year, we actually purchased another firm, Cornerstone Accounting, which was a larger firm than ours. And so now we have under that umbrella, we're now under Cornerstone Accounting instead of K&A CPAs. We have another partner as well. His name is Larry. He's been doing accounting for, I don't know, 40 years. One of the smartest guys we know. And then we have a staff of probably about like five to 10, depends on the time of year. So, and then social media, I just started doing that in 2020. Or so I was like, hey, you know what? We need to, we need to post online for at least our sphere of influence. We need to, we need to just post so people know that I'm doing accounting and things like that. So I can at least put these things over where the people that I know at least can see the information that we can provide. And I started posting on TikTok. So like, you know, what? I like this format. It's real easy off the cuff kind of stuff. 
I'm willing to do that. It's not as polished as Instagram or YouTube or anything like that. So I'll, I'll do this. I'll post on there. We'll see what happens. Not anticipating making any kind of clientele from it, more so again, just for content purposes. Little did I know that it would result in, I now have about 80,000 followers on there. I got about 20,000 on Instagram and it has been a fantastic source of clients, not like we anticipated. So it, it was a it was a pretty cool thing that's been over the past, like probably two years or so that it's really been something that I, I've been working on and been able to grow it pretty well. So that's that's my general background. Yeah, of course. So let's talk about the TikTok for a second, because I like to consider myself somewhat of like an educated consumer, somebody that does a lot of due diligence before actually booking a call with a professional that's like one of the most important professionals in your business life is going to be the CPA that you align yourself with over time. How impactful, and I know you said it's very, but like how abundant is the TikTok when it comes to traffic and how are you able to actually handle all that traffic? If you have 80,000 followers and there's got to be a, a very large multiple of people that come to your desk every month. What does that look like? Yeah. So I would say in 2022, that was when it was, I, I reached 10,000 followers in 20, at the beginning of 2022. So that was the largest growth I've had throughout the year, the largest reach I've had really. I probably met with about 200 or so people during the year, strictly from social media where that's, that is where they came from. They came from my TikTok. They reached out and wanted to have a meeting and, and, what I like about that is I'm not, if you actually look at any of my videos, I'm never pressing people. I've jokingly a couple of times been like, well, you should hire me uh, to do stuff. But I don't ever end with a hook to like, you know, go to my website and click all these things because it's really not my intention. It, it will result in uh, that. Of course, I know this uh, because that's how marketing works. But my my intention is never to push people towards that thing. So maybe I could get more clients if I pushed towards that a little bit, but I'm not because I want people to want to come to me. So if they want me, they will figure out how they can contact me. They will figure out how they can get on my meeting list because there's no warmer a lead than someone who comes to you saying, how can I work with you instead of me begging them to come work with me? And so it's produced a, a good amount of clients and the conversion rate is typically pretty good. I mean, usually... Yeah, 60 plus percent or so of those people that I do meet with turn into clients. I, I would assume uh, the people that don't, it's more so they just are kind of looking for answers to some questions and they're kind of going to go their way. But it's been a very successful platform, more so than I thought it would be. I wouldn't think TikTok. I don't think actually most people think of this. TikTok is a place where people go to learn and be informed. They think of it as being as a kid's dancing app which it hasn't been for at least the past few years, maybe since COVID or something like that. It's transformed to a, a there are subsections in there where people are like, I want to know about finance. I want to know about how to build a home. I want to know how to you know, be handy and all this kind of stuff. There are subsections within TikTok. And I, I clearly found that, that niche right there. Um, so this worked out. It's been pretty good. So you're a pretty young guy. Antonio and myself are pretty young as well. In the you know financial services industry, I don't know if you've battled this at all, but I know we both have been like, oh, am I too young to be giving advice to people twice my age? Or what's that look like? What has that experience been like for you? Uh, how have you grown over time being someone with, I don't see any gray hair on the other end of the camera. So I'm assuming you don't have any gray hair either, right? Being in that in that role, but also being super valuable and showing that value. Like what's that process been like for you kind of navigating that? So I have always looked young. I've actually always been the youngest in my class as well. I've always... Because I have a December birthday, I've just always been young. 
always. Um, and real estate was my first introduction to that and that I would meet with people, helping them with the biggest purchase decision of their life. And at the beginning, especially, I really had to gain their trust. I had to show how knowledgeable I was. I had to put in a lot of effort to do things. And then eventually I had enough money where I could buy a nice car. That helps a little bit too. If you step out of a Mercedes rather than a Honda Civic, it does help in a sales role like that. So that kind of got me past the first hurdle. The next thing was I grew a beard. So I stopped looking like I was 16 years old because I had literally <laughs> I had people literally tell me, what are you, 17? I'm like, well, couldn't get my license if I was, but I'm not. So that, that helped too. Then I had two kids. That really helped. Have some kids, people just age you out to 30 some pretty quickly. Um, but no, it, it's, it, there was definitely a building up of, you have to build up your expertise in everything you do. In real estate, it took me about probably three to four years. So I felt extremely comfortable in everything I was saying that I never tried to prove myself in any way. If they want to work with me, they were going to work with me. I probably got them from a, someone else, a referral from someone. I built people's trust pretty well that it never really came up what was my age or can I actually trust you to do these things? It does on occasion, of course. There are some people who that will always be an issue, but to them, it's just, is what it is. If you want to work with me, here I am. Here's the knowledge I can provide for you or not. When it comes to accounting, I, I actually did for the first year, year and a half for taxes specifically. I, I, I know back in manager, I've been doing technically accounting for uh, the entire time since I graduated college, but like tax prep and things like that, only since about 2019 or so. I did take a real backseat. I wanted to make sure I, I was with my dad. I went to meetings with him. I saw how he was interacting with clients. I saw what kind of answers you give to things. And I, I wanted to learn things. I wanted to study, but I, it always takes time. We always want to get a shortcut. Like, how can I learn everything I need to know? How, what, what can I go read so I can know everything? And no matter how hard you look, you'll never find that. It just You got to give yourself the time to have experience in, all the situ in every situation you're looking to gain experience in get the experience, actually understand it from a practical standpoint, and you'll really be able to explain it. And from that, and actually from TikTok, I've been able to really expand my knowledge a lot because on TikTok, I get sent things all the time where people people ask comments, like ask me questions with their comments, things like that, which require me to go back, study the actual tax code, study the actual laws. And that's actually made me a lot more knowledgeable on so many other subjects that I really wouldn't otherwise have needed to be so knowledgeable. And it would just be kind of just tacking off stuff on, on tax returns. But now I have a really in-depth knowledge of it because I have to be able to put together a video to explain it to someone in a concise manner. And that is how you'll actually really learn something. So, you know, through all of those things, obviously through time, experience, but TikTok has been a little bit of a, a ramping up of that, that knowledge intake because if you have to tell people how things work, you better understand it yourself. And in order to understand it well enough to explain to someone in a concise manner, you need to actually understand the topic because I can explain something in 15 minutes. Sure. Anyone can do that. Everyone can write a long essay, but can you give me two paragraphs and explain it pretty well? That's, that's TikTok to me. Right. So. Well, so that, I'm glad you went in that direction because my next question was going to be like, what are some of those common, you know, those common concerns you get from clients, those common comments you're getting or questions you're getting from people that follow you? Like, what are some of the common misconceptions and common things folks are struggling with in the tax space? Things that people always struggle with are something that I talked about more recently, which is something called substance over form, which I think is just so wildly misunderstood. 
And that just because you are purchasing something within your out of your business credit card or out of the LLC's bank account or something like that, or just because you buy a car under the name of your LLC, it doesn't change any of the dynamic about how we need to determine what's deductible for this thing. It all comes back to what is the actual use for this thing. And it's kind of a tough conversation because people hear stuff all the time. Like, well, if I just set up an LLC, I can do all these things. Or if I just set up a trust, I can do all these things. It's not because it's economic substance hasn't changed just because you put it under this new legal form. I actually think that is that is the heart of what most people's misunderstanding is in the tax code is is that basic concept. It's just really boring. I don't think anyone cares to to learn about that, but I find it interesting. Yeah, well, it's funny how people like they repel against what's actually legal and what's inside of the tax code, right? And and we <laughs> we joke about this all the time. And I think when I first interacted with Nick, and don't take this offensively, like some of the times it could come off as like Nick was like very conservative in nature or talked a little bit down about taxes. But really, as I've come to really understand Nick and brought a lot more strategies to him and we've learned inside of that space, Nick is not conservative at all. It's really just how can we do this inside of the scope of the law in which the like, how do we not get audited, but also take advantage of what the tax code says we're allowed to do? And so let, let's talk about that because a lot of our listeners are small business owners and they're listening to TikTok, they're listening to Instagram. They want the flashy things. They want as many deductions as possible. Where do we start as a foundational level of, let's say we have an LLC or we're, we're using our LLC taxed as an S corp, whatever that looks like. How do we make sure that we're laying the proper foundation from a bookkeeping and accounting standpoint? And then we'll go back, you know, we'll go from there. So, I mean, the first thing is whenever people are like, hey, should I set up an LLC? Sure, you can. Obviously, if you have a business, separate your life from your business. That's the most important thing you can do. Make sure that these two things are operating separately. Because if you want any of any kind of protection from either audit or other people coming after you, make sure that it doesn't look like you and the business are one and the same, right? So, sure, if you get yourself off, if you get yourself that LLC, go set up a separate bank account, go set up a separate, get a separate credit card. Whether or not it's in the name of your business, get a card that at least is used exclusively for business. Because I tell people this all the time, when you set up an LLC, the chance of you getting a credit card in the name of the LLC is pretty much none. Uh, it needs to exist for a certain amount of time, but you can certainly go in your name, get a credit card, use it for business, get some points, do something with it. Keep everything as separate as possible. Don't pay for, oh, well, it's just easier if I paid for this personal thing out of my business instead of just you know drawing it out and then paying for it personally take the extra step. I mean, that's what the whole point is of a separate entity. Make sure that you are taking the extra step of taking the money out, taking distribution for yourself, and then paying for those personal things with it. So that's kind of like the, the the first thing. Like when it comes to, I set up a business, what do I do now? Separate those things. And, and then it's- you, And what if you don't do that? What are the what are the possibilities of how that could impact you know, these individuals? So obviously, if you have a sole proprietor, there is really no separation between you and the business. It is you. So it, it is what it is, honestly, at that point in time. You just want to make sure. I would still say separate it out because if you're ever audited, the IRS then begin looking at your personal bank account with business transactions, personal transactions. You got to prove everything. Whereas if it's all separate, I don't have as much to prove because everything that goes in or out of that account is exclusively for business. I never had to separate out what is personal, what's business. So because remember, when the IRS asks or the IRS comes and audits you, you have to prove to them. They're going to assume the worst you know, scenario, right? If they see a deposit go in, that's income. No, no, that was me putting money in there personally. Prove it. Th that's what you're looking at. Or no, no, this, this expense right here was, was for business. Yeah, but you have another Walmart expense up here that was personal and that one. Yeah, prove it. Where's your receipts? So keep everything separate will actually make your life a lot easier if ever audited, right? But then secondarily, it comes to like with an LLC, obviously. LLC, 
is a legal formation for business. It doesn't change anything tax-wise. There are certain elections you can make that can change things tax-wise, but itself is simply a legal formation for your business and provides you that limited protection between yourself and your business, right? For suits against your business, you will not be personally liable for those things, right? They can only go after the assets within that business. That's the whole point of the LLC. But if it looks like I am using my LLC to pay for my mortgage or it's paying for all my personal expenses, or there's really no separation between myself and that business, then uh, it looks like an alter ego, right? They consider that the alter ego doctrine or whatever it might be. I'm not an attorney, so uh, take this with a grain of salt uh, in terms of that. But what they say is, you know what? You're not operating independently. This is not a business. This is more like a sole proprietorship. We're going to pierce that corporate veil and go after you personally in all of your personal assets, whatever those might be in that suit. Now, again, I'm not an attorney. You should definitely have an attorney. There are certain states where this doesn't get pierced as often, even for those mistakes made of having a lot of stuff, having a lot of things paid personally. It's okay if you occasionally accidentally use your business card or something like that. That's that's not going to put you in jeopardy. But if you're constantly uh, doing this, like Nevada is a really good state for LLCs. Not a lot of LLCs have had their their veil pierced. And then a lot of people like to go to Delaware because it has all favorable corporate laws. People do understand setting up in different states doesn't give you their their tax picture, but it does give you certain LLC protection. So when it comes to what kind of entity should I set up? Where should I set it up? It's a good legal question for what do you plan to do with this entity and how do you plan to operate this entity? Where am I going to find the best protection for myself with that? Awesome. So now we've set up the business. We got proper accounting and we're doing everything right. Now we start making some money and the business is profitable. And let's say this year we'll do a million in gross revenue at a 50% margin. A lot of the immediate recommendation as you start to grow is the, the, the first thing that accounts say, hey, let's go get take an S-corp election. What What is the basis of that recommendation? How do we understand how to start taking elections? Like what, when is the time? What number is the time? And how do we actually go about doing that? Yeah. And actually, I, I like your your point there too, is you're making money. Don't worry about deductions, things like that. Go make money first. It's a business. Please go make money. Stop thinking about all these deductions I'm going to get. Please just go make money. We Deductions will come, of course, as you need those things. But that the first thing that you should be prioritizing is not all the tax write-offs, but how you're going to make money. But it, when it comes to the S-Corp, my, my rule of thumb, at least based on our pricing for things, is if you're at about $100,000 of net income in your business, purely from a, a money savings perspective, not from a you know legal perspective or an entity structure perspective, where it, maybe you want this entity structure for the way your partnership is or you know how certain other things are in your life. That's a totally different question. But from a, from a monetary savings perspective, the reason why accountants recommend the S-Corp is I can control the amount of self-employment tax I pay. Because when I'm a Schedule C, when I'm a single member LLC or sole proprietor, all of my net income is subject to FICA tax, Social Security and Medicare tax, or self-employment tax. It's all one and the same. And to the first $160,000 is 15.3% that you are going to pay, right? As an employee you pay half and your employer pays half. But if you're the owner of the business, you pay both sides. If I'm an S-corp, I technically need to be an employee of my company and the rest of the earnings are going to be passed through business earnings, right? So only that which I pay myself on W-2 will be subject to FICA taxes, right? So the ultimate thing is, let's say you're making $500,000 at the bottom. If I was on Schedule C, that means that I'm going to have $160,000 of 15.3% tax. And then I'm going to have the rest is going to be taxed at 2.9%, right? So pretty big tax bill, right? 
Whereas if I'm on an S corp, it's like, you know what, a fair and reasonable wage for myself as the owner, based on my position and the roles that I'm doing and the other people that I've hired that are doing other things for me, it's $120,000. Okay. So now I'm only going to pay 15.3% right, as the employer and the employee on $120,000 and all of the rest will pass through, not subject to self-employment tax. So my savings are right there. My savings are right there on FICA tax. Other than that, the other things you need to take into consideration is uh, technically at this point, you actually have a new QBI calculation, depends on the type of service industry. Yeah, that was but my next question. Yeah, it, it, that does come into play. So obviously, once you reach a certain precipice of of wages, uh, I, I'm not like Rain Man with, with numbers, but I think it's like 300 some thousand dollars for married filing joint. And it's like, a, you know, half of that for for single filers where you start to have to do a new calculation for QBI, which is a whole other path that you can go down. But QBI essentially would be a 20% tax deduction on your business earnings, right? So if I have a Schedule C, all of my business earnings are going to get that 20%. Whereas if I'm on an S Corp, only my pass-through business earnings, not the W-2 that I paid myself, will get that QBI. Now that said, again, once you reach a certain threshold, it changes this calculation into... I believe it's about 50% of your wages that you paid. That's you and all of your employees or that plus two and a half percent of your unadjusted gross base, uh, basis of your assets. Again, it, it's kind of a complicated topic and most of us just let the system kind of handle it and then we check it uh, because it is a bit of a complicated thing. But also if you're in a professional service industry, once you start, once you reach this, this threshold, it'll eventually just phase out. It'll start this new calculation then eventually phases out. And say you're at the $500,000, I'm pretty sure it's phased out. And it's based on your income as an individual. So it doesn't matter if like that company necessarily didn't make that much money. So your individual income affects how much QBI you can actually get. It, like me, an accountant, I can phase out completely of getting any QBI because I am a professional service person. And it's pretty much anyone who's licensed in your business is built on your licensure, so like built on you personally, like a doctor or an accountant. Realtors should be included in there, but they're not. They're an obvious choice to have been included in there, but do have to remember who made the rule, a real estate mogul named Donald Trump. So I, I would assume that's why it's probably excluded from the professional service industry. Yeah. So now we set up properly. We took an S-Corp election. We're making money. The places that I like to identify when we're you know, working with clients before we bring them to you is like, okay, where did we qualify throughout the year for credits? What did, What depreciation do we have? What deductions mm -hmm. are we are we not using that still fall into the category of a business expense? And then lastly, deferments if we want to you know set up a retirement account, or whatever that looks like. Inside of that, let's talk let's talk a little bit more in depth in those world. Let's let's start with credits because I had sent you a video that I made that I did on credits, and I, I I got it to a point where the overall macro view was it was general and it made a little bit of sense. But then there's a lot of specificity that goes inside of it and nuance. Talk to us a little bit more about credits and the nuance that goes inside of them. Yeah. So again, the, the video made was, was good. It, it was a good video. But again, you, as you get into the weeds of things, people, people pick apart the things that you say. And so I, I look for the weeds, unfortunately, because before I post something, I make sure that I, I anticipate the, the various people who are going to come in and, and troll my comments with like, well, you didn't mention this. Well, I can't mention everything. But that said, credits are, of course, a dollar for dollar reduction of your tax liability, right? So if you owe $10,000 in taxes and I have a credit of 5,000, well, let's say I have, I have the, the easiest thing is the child care, the dependent credit, right? I have children. So I have two children. So I guess my income's under like 400 some thousand dollars. 
I get $2,000 per child. I have a tax credit for that, right? So let's say my, my end taxes are, are $20,000. Well, I have a, a $4,000 credit with my children. So that brings it down to $16,000 of taxes that are owed. That's a tax credit. A tax deduction, which is the, the other thing that people think of is a tax deduction reduces the income on which I'm taxed. So let's say that I made $100,000 and I owe $20,000 of taxes on that $100,000. Tax credit takes it down to $16,000. But let's say I have a uh, tax deduction of $10,000. Well, that's going to take my $100,000 and put it down to $90,000 of taxable income. Now I'm going to determine the amount of taxes I owe, and then I'm going to look at the credits that I have after that. I need to determine my taxes to know what kind of credits I'm going to get. And then when it comes to credits, some credits are going to be made eligible based on your actual income, like the electric vehicle credit, this new one for 2023, and I think think they're like 2033. It's based on if you as a married filing joint have $300,000 or less of income. Once you hit over 300,000, it's gone. And then for single individuals, it's 150,000 and head of households like 225. So there are credits that are eligible that you may or may not be eligible for that exist based on a thing that you purchased, right? That vehicle that you purchased. And then there are other rules that go along with that. Then there are other credits like for businesses, such as like R&D credits and things like that, which are really determined based on the the business itself, the business earnings and what type of expenses it had. Uh, that And that's going to pass over to you. And again, I had to have enough taxes in order to take that credit because most of these credits are non-refundable, meaning it's not go- the government's not going to pay me this credit. The government's just going to reduce my taxes by this credit. And this may be sound like a, a difference without a distinction, but th- there is, because again, let's say I had $20,000 in taxes and I can get that full $4,000 for my kids being my dependents. But let's say I have an R&D credit of, of $30,000. It's going to pass over for my business to me, spend a lot on R&D, right? And I'm getting a huge credit for it. I actually can't use that credit. I don't believe the R&D credit is going to be a refundable credit. It might carry forward into future years. But that said, it can only take me down to $0 in tax, right? So I'm down to $16,000 after my kids. That R&D credit of thirty grand is only going to take me down to zero. That means there's going to be, what, 14000 of it not used. So another aspect of credits that's important to understand is you have to have tax owed in order to actually use this, but it has nothing to do with your withholdings on your wages. That comes way after this. That's just prepayment of your taxes. How yeah. aware do you, sorry, Len, just, just one, just while we're on the topic, yeah. because I think a lot of business owners, like, especially in the, like the people that really just own a job as opposed to just trying to build an, a business with enterprise value, they try and just get to the point where they could just pay no money in taxes. Right. But how important is it throughout the year to be cognizant of how low you're limiting this tax liability, given the fact that you still over time need to qualify for loans or eventually like show profits in the business to eventually sell it. Like how much are you waiting that Hmm. when you're talking with clients? Again, this kind of goes back to my first point, make money. The deductions will come. The goal of a business is to make money. The goal of business is not to pay $0 in taxes because no business owner worth their salt has paid no $0 in taxes. What everyone wants to do is jump right to, man, I just want to be like Robert Kiyosaki or, oh man, I just want to be like Donald Trump doesn't, Donald Trump did pay a bunch of taxes. Honestly, whenever you, if you go look at the tax return, he got $750 back or something like that because he paid in a bunch of taxes. Anyways, people look at things incorrectly. They want to also jump to the end line. That's not the goal. The goal is, okay, well, I mean, that might be your goal, but that's not the, that's not going to be where you start. You need to go make money. This is what I usually tell people. 
has been more recently because everyone wants to come and, and, and reduce their taxes to zero, which would be fantastic if I knew how to do that for every year and not affect you getting a loan and things like that. That'd be awesome, but it's not reality. But secondarily, there's going to be a time in your life as a business owner, especially where you need to earn money. You need to build wealth. Wealth, wealth is the accumulation of assets, right? Wealth is the accumulation of things that can produce money for you. But if you don't have money to actually purchase those things, to actually build those things up, you, you won't be able to accumulate wealth. You'll never be able to live like Robert Kiyosaki off the investments that you have off of this passive income or off of real estate and be able to use all those other things that are available like cost segregation and other depreciation things to get your, your cash flow there, but your income down. Those things will not be available to you because you have constantly just spent all of your money because that's how you actually get yourself down to zero dollars. You have to spend money in order to reduce your taxes. There's only so much like non real spent money, right? Like some, some like sunk costs, like personal expenses that you might be able to deduct. You're going to have to spend money to get yourself down to zero dollars in taxes. So you can only do that for so long until you realize, man, I can't buy a house. Man, I, I, I can't sell this business because there's no value here. And also, I haven't, I haven't built up anything for myself. I actually have to keep on working this until I die because I have nothing left. At the end of each year, my bank account's $10,000. I barely have enough money to uh, make it to the next paycheck I get. You're living just as much paycheck to paycheck as that, uh, that person that has a W-2 that's living paycheck to paycheck. You're just you're spending all of your money basically. But you're, you're, you're right. Uh, to your point, I actually do recommend to people all the time like, hey, you might have a short-term benefit of getting your taxes down to zero, right? But eventually you're going to come to me when you need to even get approved for a, an apartment, let alone a loan. I've had people that like couldn't even get approved for an apartment because they couldn't show enough income on their tax return. And I was like, well, that's because you decided to bonus depreciate that vehicle every single year at the end of the year. You're going to go get a new vehicle every year and finance the, your, yourself to the hilt. And now you can't, now you can't even get into an apartment and you certainly can't get a loan on a even cheap house. Like you can't do anything. So you need to be wise in what your actual future goals are. And a lot of people will basically come to this realization as they want to do those things. And then they're like, okay, well this year I need to make this much money. And then next year I need to do this. And so they put themselves back two or three years because now they need to start showing the income that they should have been showing all along because they wanted to get certain write-offs and, and get themselves down to zero tax. Zero tax is not going to be, that should not be your goal. That's basically my idea is zero tax, it sounds fantastic. And it's going to happen in certain years when you lose money. But ultimately, zero dollars in tax means you're probably not being extremely successful or you are so far along in the investment space that you know, you're going to have years of losses passing through to you and some years of gain. It, you're not there yet. Go make money. Go make money. You're going to pay taxes. We'll reduce it as much as we can. But zero tax honestly shouldn't be the goal, in, in my opinion, at least. Totally makes sense. And you know, before you went into that, I, you kind of answered where I was going, right? You got ERC, which is a big hot thing out there. Everyone's oh, yeah. marketing it. I'm sure you get a bunch of clients reaching out to you like, I need to get more ERC or I want ERC. Like, can I qualify for this? R&D, the G-Wagon concept, the 6,000 pound vehicle, cost segregation studies, all these things just that you're covering. Uh, it's super valuable to be able to kind of navigate that noise. And that's a lot of what your content's all about, right? Another mm. another piece of noise that we're seeing are this the, the trusts and the, the holding companies and you know paying no taxes with the trust over here and the holding companies owning it, your shares of everything. And there's some validity to some of those pieces, right? But like where are people getting duped? Where are people missing the boat there? Yeah, especially when it comes to holding companies, especially, which is a 
that and trust are definitely a hot topic as of as of late. If holding companies are being presented as a tax saving means, it's not usually what they are really. Like holding company can really kind of take two forms in how people are looking at them. It's either an actual company that holds assets, and usually you're leasing that to your other companies. And that's usually to provide yourself a level of protection for those assets for suits against those other companies, right? I have one LLC that owns all my assets and that releases those things out to these other companies so that if anyone goes after that, they're not going to get my big equipment. Okay, sure, that's fine. Fine from a legal standpoint. How well does that hold up? I don't know, ask an attorney. But that said, that's usually the first thought of like a holding company. The second thought is, I have one entity I want all of my income to flow into. I'm a partner in all these other businesses. There there can be a modicum of tax savings there. And that's, let's say I have an S corporation and I'm a, I'm a partner in, in three other companies, right? So I have this one corporation and it's going to be holding the shares in all these partnerships. So all the income flows in that S corp. I only have to pay myself one W2. It's going to be based on the work I do for all these companies. Sure. So it's going to be a, a conglomerated fair wage, but I don't need to set up an S corp here, here, here. And now I'm going to technically, if I had to do that, I'm going to overpay FICA tax technically on all these. Cause once I reach the threshold of $160,000, I don't know my share of, uh, uh, social security tax, but the company doesn't get a credit for what it overpays. And I, I do personally. So you actually may end up overpaying taxes. Sorry, it gets a little bit into the weeds there, but that is a, a place where a holding company for yourself, for your business holdings, right? Your partnership share or something does make sense. And secondarily, let's say that there are things that you do for all of these companies that are benefited by certain expenses, a vehicle, your cell phone, your internet, your home office. You use all of those things for all of these companies. Well, an easier means by which you can actually deduct that vehicle, determine its use percentage, and your all your other expenses would be if it was just in one entity, right? That you had to worry about those expenses being in, rather than having to reimburse or allocate this into all these other companies. One, it's going to increase your tax bill, um, having your accountant having to allocate across all of these other companies, and two, it's going to make it a lot easier to prove your business use for all of these things as well, because you're active in so many things, right? So. And then you can keep it also separate from your other partners. They're not getting the benefit of your vehicle deduction. They're not getting the benefit of your cell phone deduction. Like you're keeping everything separate. So that's, those are the two scenarios where most people are generally having their holding company. And it does make sense. The tax savings are not really the goal. The, it's usually a legal perspective that you're going from or a simplicity perspective that you're going from for these holding companies. Trusts, I don't know where people got their information. <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Yeah. yeah. Trusts are, people do not understand, trusts are not uh, tax shelters. They are specifically said to be not such. They actually have a much worse tax rate. So if you if you have things flow into a trust, they're typically flowing right back out to the individual, whatever, whatever they came in as, right? So whatever the nature is of that thing. So if you have your trust own your shares of all your companies, it's going to come in as ordinary income and you're going to want to do, you're wanting something called the uh, net distributable income. You're going to want to get that right out of the trust because the trust is going to pay 37% marginal tax rate after about $14,000 worth of income. So you want to get that right out of the trust. Don't have it pay taxes. And you're going to have that move to you, the beneficiary anyways. So it's not saving anything. It's just a conduit for those things. It's a good legal structure. It's good for asset protection and things like that. And it's good for estate planning. Certainly it has its role and it can save you in like for estate purposes, 
You're going to be able to avoid probate by having all of your assets inside of the trust. Uh, pre that happening, obviously, it's not going to be, you know, you're usually going to do a living trust and everything's going to be titled in that. So then when you pass away, boom, it's going to go right in this trust, it avoids probate. So it's not going to be public information, what's all in there. So there, there are definitely benefits for it. Most of them are legal. Most of them are asset-based. But tax-wise, that's not their goal. I mean, there are certain entities like charitable remainder trust and things like that that do have a tax shelter aspect to them, but it's not what people are thinking. It is a totally. you know, other scenario. Yeah, totally. So, so one big question we hear our clients, uh, you know, ask a lot. I'm sure you get this a lot too. Is you know they've had their business maybe for five or six years. They're making good money. They're seeing good growth every year, and then they come into this idea of like, oh wait a second, as I've it's you know built my real estate portfolio, built my business, built maybe I maybe I'm an investor in a couple other businesses. Now I want to get a holding company involved. What have you had an experience in that unraveling process of like restructuring ownership, and how can taxes implicate that potentially? I mean, it's not an extremely difficult process to just say. Hey, I want to I want to just own all my shares in these companies through a corporation or an entity that I I set up separately. That's fine. All you really need to do is just make sure with your partners, we just create a new minute for that entity. Say, hey, the ownership shares are transitioning over to this person. Is what it is. Not extremely difficult in order to do that, but you do just want to make sure that it makes sense to do so. Obviously, you know, it's like, is there an actual reason why you're going to be doing this? You're going to be keeping track of these things. Does it make sense monetarily for you to do this? Because a lot of people will be like, right from the get-go, I need to set up a holding company for it. It's like, you know what? It's going to cost you. You're going to have all these different entities set up. None of them are going to be making money here at the beginning. Some of them are barely going to be doing anything at all. You're going to be paying a minimum of, you're going to be paying us 1500 bucks per business return right here. I don't want to take your money. I want to do things monetarily that make sense for you. I'll do it. It's fine. But I'm usually going to recommend like, this doesn't make sense right now. Fiscally, let's not do that. Unless you, unless you feel legally you need, if you have direction from an attorney or something like that to do this, that's fine. But when it comes to like unraveling things at the end, it's not extremely difficult necessarily to do that. Not not in my not in my experience, and and not from what I'm looking to do with actually some people right now of just having it switch over from them being personally holding all these shares of uh, partnerships that they're in into owning it through their corporation that's already been set up. Not extremely difficult. The IRS may want it to be extremely difficult, but it doesn't have to be. I think people in general make things more difficult than they have to be, right? We're as younger business owners, everyone's seeing all the the next hot topic on Instagram or TikTok, and they're like, "Oh, I need this." And it's like, dude, you made fifty grand in your business. Like, you don't need your trust paying this life right. insurance policy that's buying this thing. It's like, just just go make more money. And I love the way that you put right. that. It's like, all right, make more money, and then yes. Over time with proper planning, we could figure out how to mitigate this bill a little bit more because like the goal isn't to overpay your taxes. We, we, we don't like right. giving free money to the IRS, but everyone's got to play the game inside the scope of the game. Where do you see people really messing up the ball? I know that you and I have talked about it a lot about some of these guys on Instagram talking about like, oh, I just put everything on my business card and now it's a business expense. And now you're showcasing yourself on vacation. But since your wife is a part of your business, now every <laughs> dinner that you have in the rest of your life in perpetuity is a business expense. Like people are legitimately showcasing tax fraud on the internet. Wait, like, that's not true. I didn't <laughs> <laughs> go set up an LLC. They're magical. You can do yeah. everything through them. <laughs> and so what's the biggest misconception that you're seeing? And like, where can people start immediately going towards the right direction? The biggest problem that people have is that they actually read something or see something from someone else 
And then they take this one very small, narrow aspect and say it applies to everything or applies to all of these things. Um, for instance, when people see that uh, I need to use my vehicle over 50% to get Section 179. And with Section 179, I could potentially write off the whole vehicle, depending on the type of vehicle that I have. It needs to be over 6,000 pounds. What they glommed onto was 6,000 pounds over 50%, I can write off 100% of it. And then they take those things, which without any context, I guess are true but you need to actually fill in all the holes, right? So they'll say, as long as I have a vehicle, any vehicle over 6,000 pounds, and I use it over 50%, I can write off 100% of it. Well, none of that's, half of that's true. None of it's all true, Like, right? People take general concepts and then they just make their own kind of conclusion with it. The biggest problem that I've had, especially with people that post things online and when these short clips, right? The, the biggest problem is that people post things without nuance. Some people they're not tax professionals. So they actually don't know why they're saying the things they're saying, especially about section 179, trust, things like that. They actually don't know. They've been told this or they've had it relatively explained by their accountant. And so they just take this back and they explain what they think they heard. But then there are some people, not to call anyone out, but Carlton Dennis posts things online. I, I have yet to really find a full video of his that is good, which is sad because he, I, I know he's a smart guy. He has an EA. He's not an idiot. He knows the tax code. He's probably a smart guy. I've seen some books of his at Barnes and Noble in the in the business section. He must have something going right for him, right? But all of his videos he posts without any nuance, any context about how these things actually work. Everything he says could be correct. Like if you add your wife or spouse onto this, you know, you can write off your business meals. Sure, yeah, some of them. But he doesn't say that. So he makes it seem like you can do certain things. Like I can do this with all my meals now are deductible. Oh, as long as we travel with business intent, our, 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 our travel is deductible. That isn't what he's saying. If you were to get on a call with him, I'm sure he'd be like, nah, you got to have business purpose for doing these things. You got to travel with this certain way. Maybe he crosses the line a little bit, like with his, where he finds the gray area to be. That's fine. Everyone has their own interpretation of things. I will say I'm, I'm more in the middle. You know, I'm not extremely conservative on, on my viewpoints. Uh, there are some things where I'm going to lean towards, eh, let's make sure we're doing it pretty correctly here because this has been audited a number of times. But he might push that those boundaries more. But without that nuance there, the problem is people don't give nuance to the things that they say, which means that people will take that uncontextualized bit off of social media and now just start applying it to their business and, and, and writing these things off and doing these things. And the real issue is most of these people, most people don't have an accountant, right? Like a lot of people don't have an accountant, even with a business. They're just going to go take these words and start doing that. And then they're going to get audited and they're going to have a real issue. So, I mean, the biggest problem is people just post things out of context because they either don't know or they just want clicks and views and to the detriment of other people who aren't going to seek competent advice, which is unfortunate. Yeah, and, and, and in theory, not paying taxes at all would just be the best strategy in like ever, right? Be awesome. But, right? If you didn't, if you like, if you never got audited, then yeah, you beat the system. But at some point, you're probably going to get audited and you're going to get hit with a fat penalty and a fat bill mm -hmm. or jail time. So that's why right. it's important to align yourself <laughs> with people like Nick to make sure that you're I dotting and T crossing and then you can do the interpretation of how aggressive or conservative you want to stay inside of that space. And I love what Nick said earlier. I wanted to allude to it of like, I think the easiest way to get more proficient in a space is to create content inside of that space because you need to force yourself to get smarter so that you don't look like an idiot. Like for myself personally, 
I like one of my biggest fears is ever getting a video where I posted on tax things. And Nick was like, yeah, no, no, like this is bad. <laughs> and so like, I'm serious though. That, that was one of my motivations. Now we've created a relationship where he's allowed me to send him some stuff and he'll be like, Hey, I think this is cool, but this, this might need a little bit more nuance. So constantly always be sharpening that sword because you want to be known as the subject matter expert in your space, but you don't want to be known as that guy that stays in a gray area that just makes catchy content. Cause over time, mm-hmm. you know, the, the rug gets pulled over un, under you over time. So Nick, I, I mean, we can go forever on this stuff. Like I can talk yeah. forever. I think a part two is in order and I want to be very conscious of your time, but just real quickly, like share with us, like personally and professionally, like what's your vision over the next five, 10 years? Like, where do you want to see all this go? That's a really good question. I mean, that's also why I, the reason why I've started up the YouTube page. So I've started do, uh, posting on YouTube now, right? My, my goal actually this year was, my goal is still to get to a hundred thousand on TikTok. I'm at like 83 or something like that. But if I don't get there, I don't really care. Uh, my my other goal was okay. I want, on Instagram, I want to get to I wanted to get to ten thousand. I'm at about twenty because of this one video I posted, which has twenty three million views on it. Um, but hey, that works. So just post something with millions of views on Instagram, you'll get tons of followers. Trust me, it'll work. But now my 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 goal has been to transition over to YouTube because YouTube is a a place where you have a lot more sticky subscribers. You have actually a, a real follower base. Whereas on TikTok, it can be a little, it can be a little uh, paper tiger in terms of like the type of followers that you actually have. Instagram slightly better. YouTube is going to be the best, but it's the hardest to grow. But I know that through that, I can one, create other monetization aspects uh, through just the platform itself. Um, it allows me to expand on topics more. And, and, and my end goal is I, I would love to find a way to either take myself into a, uh, a education type role, either speaking at events or, or doing things that uh, allow me to bring expertise into other areas. And I think that posting content online kind of helps that, helps validify those things and puts me in front of other people that have those connections. And it has. I've, there are a lot of connections that have been made just simply by being on social media. Um, so it, it's definitely a great thing. And I'm only, what, a few years into this. So I know that there's still more. I just got to keep on plugging away at each of those new things. So I know that AI is going to create issues within the tax field for uh, low-end tax prep. Absolutely know that. I want to make sure that I'm adapting with AI, and I want to make sure that I also have other streams of revenue, right? Like with the YouTube and things like that, set up so that this is not just because maybe you lose a chunk of business to the fact that this new AI can just put in your tax return for it and you're done. You don't need an account. It's going to cost 10 bucks. I can't compete with that. That's fine. I'll lose a lot of low-end returns. It is what it is. Uh, I probably will, but I need to be able to be ready for that. And that's by building up other avenues and streams of revenue. So currently, my, my focus is basically I, I want to build up a, a YouTube platform, see what kind of monetization I can get with that, uh, but also what other what, what other uh, opportunities are out there based on the connections I can make, you know, th- through through those platforms. And Nick, a question we ask at the end of every one of our interviews is it's kind of cliche and corny, but our podcast is called the Consistency Wins Podcast, right? So. What does consistency mean to you and how does it show up in your life? I'm a very regimented person, very task oriented and things like that. Like I get up, I do the same exact things every morning. I work out five or six days a week. I make, I I do the same stuff all the time. I'll eat the same things pretty much week after week after week, morning, afternoon, things like that. Like I, I will do those same things over and again, because I know that they produce results, right? Like if I know if I want to lose weight, I need to do these things. I know that if I want to increase the amount of views I have on certain 
social media posts, things like that. I need to post more consistently. Um, and that I need to actually stick to this process. If I want to get work done, I need to make sure I have things scheduled out. I need to make sure it's not just chaos. Consistency, it's a, it's a great name for your podcast. Like it, it, the, the best way to get anything done is to one, start doing it, but also just be consistent in how you approach your daily tasks and things like that. And, and you'll be successful. Uh, most successful people have routines and do those things over and over again. It's a little boring, but it produces the best results. If you think you're going to get by just by just going with the flow, you won't. You'll you'll stay pretty much where you're at if you if you just kind of let life kick you around. You got to have a routine. You got to have a specific purpose uh, that you're doing each day. In, in my opinion. Well said, man. Well, we are we are super grateful for you, man. And I think a part do a part two is in order at some point. Um, yeah. We can align schedules again, but. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate you for all that you do for one, the marketplace and the industry two, our clients as well. Three ourselves, you know, you've always been available. You've always been informative, just genuinely appreciative of you, man. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on guys. Yep.